0: This is Sarah. This is Jenna from Name Three Songs, and today we are getting candid with Judah Akers from Judah and the Lion. We had a really lovely chat with him, and it was just a very personal conversation, and when she talks about a lot of his struggles that he's gone through like very recently, and we were really grateful for his openness in this interview, so you guys are really in for a treat. And to give you some context on Judah and the Lion, they formed as a band in 2011 when the members were attending Belmont University in Nashville. The band is currently doing an arena tour with Need to Breathe and they have an upcoming song with K-Flay.
1: So we're getting candid with Judah from Judah and the Lion about how heartbreak and personal struggles nearly stopped him from playing music, how he finds a personal sense of responsibility in being vulnerable in his songwriting, and how the band has stayed grounded in the chaos of the music industry while living a life of touring over 200 days a year prior to COVID. Chaos. True chaos. So come join us and Judah for a wonderful conversation. Hi, Judah. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. We're so excited to talk to you today. So you guys are currently on an arena tour with Need to Breathe, and you've been a band for over a decade now and have played venues of all sizes. But what is it like playing for crowds this big every single
2: night? It's really awesome. Honestly, having catering is like such (laughs) a dream such a dream (laughs) we're like making juices like you know living our best life but no it's it's been such a great like sweet spirit already on tour just the crowds have been amazing and just as far as like the need to breathe camp it's gonna be a really really cool run
0: that's awesome that's great to hear so you guys have been playing music for quite a while i'm sure you've seen venues of all sizes how do you feel like the live show experience has changed from the beginning to now
2: oh that's a great question i think as far as like our performance goes it hasn't really changed that much we we've always i think kind of cut our teeth on the road i mean before the pandemic we were doing around 200 shows a year which was That's a lot insane. especially like in in the band days so i think we've always liked our goofiness on stage and kind of embraced it even now like having like little dance moments or stuff like that. But yeah, I think you adjust as the the crowds get bigger and you kind of figure out different ways to kind of make sure everybody feels like included. I I think that we've always loved going to shows that um, are interactive, that involve people that are there. And it's been really cool to kind of adjust as that growth has happened. Um, Mm -hmm. But as far as like the, the core part of like, I guess the DNA of who we are, is still kind of the same. Yeah.
0: I mean, it sounds like live music is really just such a core part of y'all as musicians and what Judah and the Lion is. But like with COVID and like the pandemic happening, what was that adjustment like for you suddenly not having live music and also like the uncertainty of not knowing like when we were going to have live music again?
2: Yeah, the, the limbo was, was a lot. I mean, it was a lot for a lot of musicians. Uh, I don't know if you guys went through that with, with what y'all yeah. um, y'all do. But yeah, I think just the, the state of being in limbo and kind of we had a tour, an arena tour of our own that we had to cancel in 2020. That yeah. was a bummer. And then, you know, for us, we, we were kind of on this a little bit of a trajectory and it felt like we kind of lost a little bit of momentum. And then we've just now kind of recovered from it. So yeah, I, I think for me, you know, I, I, I don't think I really realized how therapeutic shows were. Mm. Yeah. So I actually started really suffering from like high anxiety, panic attacks, stuff like that. And my therapist at the time said, well, you're kind of used to like screaming and like (laughs) dancing, you know, like a buffoon for like 150 nights a week. And I know that sounds like weird, but, you know, I think I just had all this pent up energy that I wasn't like really releasing. And so that ended up actually being such a growth year for me and the guys in the band of just – really like i mean again we were doing 250 shows a year yeah. it was probably too much and I, I maybe like in a very classic southern jock way can tend to bottle things up a bit mm-hmm. and i think just the chaos and and how busy we were um, i had a lot going on just in my personal life with my family and um, just didn't realize that i hadn't really faced those demons so the pandemic without the i guess the, the cathartic part of the shows made me kind of face those which was i think now i can look back and say it's really beautiful but it was really really hard at the time
1: yeah Yeah. i mean i feel like a lot of people had a lot of personal growth that happened in the like forced isolation that came with the pandemic it's always really interesting hearing like musicians talk about it and like how they utilize live shows specifically as like another emotional outlet aside from like obviously songwriting and i mean like Now that you are back on the road, like, what is that kind of, like, give and take, like, again, being able to share those emotions with fans after not having that for some time?
2: Oh, I mean, it's like a wave of emotions. It's really wild. Like, one of our first festivals back was Firefly in Dover, Mm -hmm. Delaware. Yeah. And I like bawled my eyes out after the set. Wow. You know, it was like one of those just like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. yeah. Now I'm crying and it can't stop. And I'm like, you know, like backstage, <laughs> the crew's like, what the heck is going on with this guy? And yeah, and I think that a lot of artists even that i talk talked to is like, I, I think for me, it's like I even like realize the energy that you're giving away
1: yeah,
2: in a given night. And so to kind of respect that and me and the guys kind of have like a before grounding session, if you want to call it that, just make sure that we're like really in the present moment now. Mm-hmm. And then after the show, it's kind of the same thing, because I think, you know, it's not really normal to be on stage and to have people yelling your songs and in some ways it's it's very weird and unhuman so even like bruce springsteen he would like ground himself go on a dinner date with someone in in that town to Mm -hmm. make himself kind of realize that that adrenaline or that energy that you're getting back you know it's not long lasting i should say yeah
0: Um, i think it's so interesting to hear you say this because we've talked to like a lot of younger artists on our show and it's like they almost just haven't spent enough time on the road to like understand and come to terms with like these types of feelings and how much like emotional exchange there is and especially to have a career where you know you're doing this night after night for years on end like it can take a toll on you and so I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about in this way of like needing to have that grounding moment in order to like balance out the highs and the lows.
2: Yeah it's like a must for us boys now especially after the pandemic. You know there's a lot of nerves coming back and playing shows. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Luckily for us it was it was a bit of like a muscle memory thing but I mean I, I was like so nervous for the first time like in my career <laughs> coming back yeah. and playing these festivals because it's just like oh my gosh we were during the pandemic you know crowds of people we were kind of transfixed on this is a problem yeah yeah you know we don't don't do that yeah. and all of a sudden you're on a plane and you're headed to a show yeah and it's <laughs> like whoa yeah um, so I, I really have like a lot of empathy for you know, specifically some of the lead singers that have had a hard time kind of coming back with the mental health, because it's just, it was a lot to ask emotionally. And I think, you know, for young artists, or or for people, it's, it's really good to start taking that seriously early on yeah. and know where you're getting that that energy from because shows can be energy suckers, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: So a lot of us have these key moments in our relationship to music that really form who we are as people. So I'm curious if there's anything that stands out to you, maybe when you're younger, of this moment of like music is what I have to be doing with my life.
2: I actually have a pretty poignant Moment that I can think of was I was kind of a church kid growing up. I grew up in like a, a small town, Middle Tennessee, really cute kind of rural town. But in a in a little way, it's just kind of sheltered, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. And I came to an exit in show, which is kind of a small club here in Nashville, with a buddy of mine that was kind of an indie kid. And I saw the format. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Which you know, some of the guys ended up becoming fun and. You know, for me, this kind of sheltered kid. I mean, it it was like tattoos and like people (laughs) were smoking (laughs) (laughs) pot, and uh, I was like, "What is this? This this is is crazy!" (laughs) (laughs) So I was like. I don't know if I was just, like, sheltered or if that was just, like, the coolest thing. It was probably a little bit of the chicken and the egg. But that moment, just seeing Nate and the boys just kind of, like, really control the crowd. And he was such a charismatic front man and and very endearing and sweet. And, you know, his voice kind of spoke for itself. But I remember, like, calling my mom after that. And I was like, I I think this is crazy, but I I would at least like to write songs. I I didn't think I was good enough at music at the time, transparently. So I was like, I I just want to do something in music. So that, that was one of those kind of transcending moments yeah, for me. Yeah,
0: that's amazing.
2: Do y'all have one?
1: <laughs> uh Actually, yes. <laughs> I mean, so when I was a kid, I really wanted to be in a band. Uh, my mom took me, do, do you know the movie, the <laughs> 2001 movie, Josie and the Pussycats?
2: <laughs> no, it sounds sick <laughs> It
1: was so good. It was kind of like a satire on the music industry, but Tara Reid played the drummer in the band and I thought she was so cool. And when it was done, I was like, mom, I want to do that. <laughs> she was like okay Hell, and then she got me drum sick. lessons and i was like there we go and i was not good at drums so then i started doing music photography and then i was like because I, I was like i have to be involved somehow
2: yeah that's so sick yeah we both have you got the cool hair for it
0: <laughs> we both have similar <laughs> stories of like being really into like the emo warp tour scene as teenagers and we both come from live music photography backgrounds and then when pandemic yeah. happened we switched to doing this so we've always just like had that love of music also That's awesome. Yeah, it's,
1: it's like it's like figuring out how to be involved in whatever way possible. I think it's interesting how we all keep kind of bringing up how we've had to readjust since the pandemic and so much that has changed since then because like, I don't know, I feel like it's affected people in so many different ways. And I mean, also just like with the band, you guys did have a founding member, Nate, leave in 2021 in the midst of all of this. But I'm curious, like in the wake of that, what was the process in figuring out how to continue as Judah and as two of you, especially when like you're separated from each other, not only because of the pandemic, but because Brian moved to another country for a little bit.
2: Yeah, it was, it was very wild. Like we were all kind of, again, it, it was a forced break, but I can look back on it and say that I think the pandemic probably saved our band because mm-hmm. um, I think we were probably on the verge of burnout. Yeah. And and so we, we kind of went through that, that friction phase where Nate really realized you know, I don't. He did, he never really loved writing. I, I don't want to speak for him out of turn, but the studio and stuff would would tend to stress him out a little bit. And there was this one kind of big confrontation with the three of us, and he had just kind of just blurted it out, "It's like I I just don't want to do. I don't want to be in the band anymore." And it was like, "Whoa! Oh, how do we how do we deal with this?" Yeah, that was right when Brian got back from Sweden, and then it kind of. You know, Nate was even more vulnerable about his mental health and, like, what he was going through just kind of in his own life. And me and Brian both just really saw him and kind of commended him for it. We are like, that's awesome that you're fighting for yourself. Like, you're way more important than music and the band. And so he took off a couple years, and he's actually back playing with us now. Oh, amazing. (laughs) So he's on this tour now, which has been very redeeming and sweet. But, yeah, I, I think those are kind of the moments of, like, all right, Brian, do we want to keep doing yeah. this? He was going through a lot just with his wife going to school out in Sweden. I was going through my own marriage problems at the time, mm-hmm. transparently, and it was just kind of like, what are we doing this for? You yeah. know? And I, I think that for everybody, and not to be like a motivational speaker here, but <laughs> I think it's really cool to have those moments where you get back to the why. Yeah. You know, like, why did you all start this podcast? Like, why did we start this band? Yeah. And do we still feel like we have something to say? Yeah. And once we got to the root of that, we were like, we know why we started this band. We still have that why. And we still have a lot to say. Yeah. So I think, you know, pushing through and going from a tour that was going to be in arenas and going back into, you know, Bigger clubs or whatever. Our last headlining tour was a little strike to the ego. Yeah. But again, that that's just like losing the ego is so important for artists. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. It creates better music. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it, it makes you a better person. Yeah. And so we're like in a really good spot of gratitude, and I guess just thankful for where we're at now so we made we kind of made it through at least that challenge
1: I mean it sounds like you guys have a really strong backbone to all of this which I think is really incredible and I also love how open and comfortable you are talking about how important focusing on mental health is because i think like for a lot of people that's a discomfort level and i know for like millennial generation a lot of us like our parents it was like you whisper about therapy at the dinner table kind of thing and like the past 10 years and especially the past five years that's really shifted and I think like even just like in your music it's really clear that mental health has always been important but like on our podcast we talk a lot about how men historically like just have not been encouraged to talk about their mental health it's like take it on the chin and just like keep going and dealing with it Mm -hmm. and so I'm just curious like what your experience has been with like dealing with that stigma and kind of being like ignoring it really and just being comfortable being like mental health is important this is something we need to focus on
2: I mean thank you Uh, (laughs) I think I I probably run both sides of that like the I guess the the classic stereotype of a southern dude jock that you know my dad was pretty tough on me kind of the classic he was Mm -hmm. the coach of you know, my school team and ended up playing college baseball. And I guess in in that on that side was like very like fighting, like don't cry, be tough. Yeah. Yeah. Then my mom was such a powerful woman in my life. And she was also a therapist. So it really helped that she was like the opposite. She was like, she was the one that encouraged me to get into music and just say like, hey, instead of Punching the locker room like with your fist. Yeah. Why don't you get a guitar and mm. start writing? <laughs> let's put let's let's put this in a, a, a space. And, and Brian's mom is actually a therapist as well. Oh wow, of, I mean, uh, amazing. Yeah. So it's I, I I would attest it to the powerful women in our life to be honest. But I, I think for me it it was just this moment where like literally my body like my back and like stress was manifesting itself. Yeah. Especially through my divorce and I had. An aunt on one side commits suicide mm-hmm. and an uncle on the other side commits suicide. And my mom was in and out of jail. And it was like one of those things uh, where my body was like, literally like, "Yeah, yo, you, you need to you do something like, about this. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, w- it was kind of one of those four situations for me where I really had to pursue my own therapist. Yeah. And my mom always encouraged therapy, but I-, I think just having a mom as a therapist, I just never really felt like I needed yeah. it myself, yeah. you know, <laughs> like yeah. stubbornly. I was like, I- I'll... I know how to get through this. My mom's giving me the tools. um, (laughs) And and so I I think, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of just interpersonal stuff kind of happened for me. I was just like, okay, like I have to practice what I preach here a little bit. Um, And it was, uh, yeah, 2021, I went in with now my, I call him like my brother, therapist, mentor, and did like my first round of EMDR and healing like br- breath and, you know, yeah. all, all of this work that I had kind of pushed away He's honestly was scared to go inside. And I think that, that it, it's okay to be scared of that, you know, Yeah. Mm-hmm. to go inward is like a, a really tough thing. And I, I think especially, you know, that, you know, some guys are, are not as good and I would put myself in this category and processing emotions, you know, Yeah. yeah. and so. I think it is a scary thing because you don't really know what's going to come, come yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I will say at now, still practicing, still going to therapy, it's like I could say that it like saved my life because now I'm, I'm not suffering as bad in my body. I, I yeah. know what to do when that anger comes up. Yeah. I know what to do and not to fight the tears, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess I would encourage anyone listening. It's sometimes so backwards how life works. It's like sometimes (laughs) there's so much strength in like admitting where you're weak. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's so much freedom when you say something that's true. Like, Yeah. yeah, I really am struggling here. You know, there's something just so powerful about that. Yeah, but it's so it's so backwards to the way that, you know, at least in American culture, a lot of, you know, we're just taught to be the best. (laughs) Yeah, literally, you, you know, it can lean to being like very toxic as far as like, I feel like I was living some version of a life of like toxic positivity. Right. Yeah, right. Where it was just like everything is going to be okay, yeah. with, which it's okay to have hope. I think that's really important yeah. for for humans. But I really went on a tangent there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's was, it <laughs> was I, mean, I was going
0: yeah, like, to say like thank you so much for sharing all of this with us because yeah. obviously a lot of this is really personal for you. And I think you know it's one of those things where it's like when you're in that place, it can be so hard to talk about it. And I think now you know putting in some work, it's it's easier to have these types of conversations. But I saw this interview you did where you were talking about. About, like artists to be a creative person you kind of need to operate from a place of love rather than a place of fear and when you're operating out of this like scarcity mindset and I think you know a lot of this comes into play with the pandemic and with like not knowing what's going to happen with the band and like personal life like all of this is scary and is terrifying and then you have to go into the studio and write about things and so for you like having all of this in mind do you feel like you have a responsibility to be vulnerable in your songwriting.
2: That's also a very poignant question. Y'all y'all are awesome with this, by the way. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. for like, Thank you. Um, yeah, that's a poignant question because the, the record that we just worked on came from a place where I had just gone through this really painful divorce, mm-hmm. biggest heartbreak of my life, and honestly didn't want to write about it because I'm yeah. like, I don't want – the world to know about my biggest failure you know like i don't want to be honest about like how this all went down and me and brian kind of had kind of conclusion of just like well this is our like kind of like dna of yeah. like the why of who we are yeah and even though my story, it is raw and vulnerable and really tough at times, like I, I feel like our goal is to do that, like operate out of love instead of fear. So fear would say, don't do that yeah, mm. uh, because that's going to be really hard. And I feel like love would say is, no, that's going to be really, really hard. It's going to be even worse, but we're going anyway. Right. Mm. So it's like this thought of like, okay, if I'm operating out of love as an artist, then I'm able to kind of speak freely without judgment you know yeah. if, that, if that makes sense or like yeah, judging well, it, it kind
0: of goes back to what you just said a minute ago about like there's power in like saying you're not all right or saying what you're going through i think that's it's kind of that of knowing like yeah it's going to suck and it's going to be hard and it's going yeah. to be uncomfortable and i'm maybe not going to feel the best putting this out there but like people are going to recognize that and they're going to connect with it and like in the end you'll be all the better for it
2: yeah there's i know at least from the music that i love it's like the music that makes you feel less alone in the world yeah, is yeah. what I kind of tend to gravitate to and even though our record pep talks was a lot about just what it was like with my mom and struggle with alcohol Mm -hmm. and my parents divorce and kind of going through that as a a mid-20s you know person and it's like you wouldn't imagine how many 13 year old kids that are going like through their parents divorce resonate somehow with a 25 year old story it's just (laughs) it's beautiful how music can kind of do that and so that that's at least our intention is to bring hope and make people feel less alone. I think that's what you guys are probably doing really well on this podcast as well.
1: Thank you. I mean, you can tell like in your lyricism that like there is kind of like this poetry and storytelling aspect to it, That like it's understandable, like how quickly and easily people would be able to connect to the music and I mean specifically like in listening to your recent single Only Want the Best like it obviously like as you said like it it was about going through the end of a relationship and breaking up is such a specific loss that you go through and like the six stages of grief that you deal with like in regards to like death also work into relationships ending but the song feels like you were at the acceptance stage of grief rather than like the usual anger or depression like stage that people usually write from and so what made you want to write that song from that stage of grief because I feel like it's something that like you don't really hear that much and is kind of needed because I feel like a lot of people forget that there is that stage where you're going to finally like understand what you went through and be like okay I get I get why this happened or I get what's happening now
2: thank you for that question so I don't know if you saw this but the next record is actually just about all the stages of grief Mm. and then uh so only what the best is on actually the last part of depression yeah but the thought i guess in general was just to be honest i was writing Mm. like really harsh songs after my heartbreak yeah of course (laughs) that's uh, normal (laughs) it it, it helped my back problems (laughs) 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 but i don't think it would have been really good for the world and I think when you go through heartbreak or betrayal or any type of reasons why relationships end, obviously there's going to be anger that you go through. Yeah. There's going to be this this bargaining, which I learned a lot about bargaining, because that was like the one, I was like, what does bargaining mean? <laughs> it's like, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, I think after I kind of got all of those, I guess, more intense, harsh songs out of the, I call it the kitchen. Like, I just got it out of the system. Then me and Brian were able to write the whole record from this position of forgiveness, but also Mm. go back and look back and be like, okay, there's a way I can say like, when I was like, I, I got diagnosed with this thing called heartbreak syndrome which oh. I didn't know about at the time, but it was essentially my left arm was way weaker than my right arm.
0: Whoa. And I Whoa. thought I was
2: like having a seizure and I went to the doctor. He was like, no, you're suffering from this thing called heartbreak syndrome. It's essentially where your heart's just breaking. Wow. And oh my so, God. Um, wow. A lot of older men that go through divorces that maybe aren't, in good shape or whatever can can have a heart attack from it whatever anyways oh wow all i to say is i can go back and look at it and be like oh that was right when i was in denial you know i was Mm -hmm. in denial that this relationship was ending i didn't want to admit it the anger songs are the kind of the punk songs (laughs) but yeah it's just we're actually intertwining my therapist within the record too uh, (laughs) which is really fun he's got a writing credit as well which is like super special (laughs) for me yeah but i i think only Want the Best, that being kind of the, I guess, the flagship song currently for the new record is, it's true. Like, I think we all go through relationship ending and it's it's this weird holding of the two things of like, I truly only want the best for you. Yeah. Like, this really hurt that you broke my heart yeah. and I'm sure I broke yours as well. But like, at the end of the day, like, if I'm going to do this operating out of hopefully a position of forgiveness, right. then... I think we can all resonate with that, that message of like, uh yeah. oh this sucks but like only good things for yeah.
0: you yeah no i think that's really interesting of you have to get it out right it's the catharticness of like needing to go through that process yourself but then like kind of once you're a little bit on the other side like looking back of like what is it i want to release into the world and having the best intentions for people and your art and you know hopefully what people connect with and not wanting to have like malice in the mix so i think that's that's really fascinating to hear you talk about that but i do want to switch gears a little bit for a second here because we're very interested in this idea of fame and what is specifically means for musicians in the world that we're living in today because if we look back at like the heyday of rock stars, they were kind of considered this otherworldly being or they were a little bit untouchable and for some people a little bit aspirational even though obviously there was a lot happening in the in the era of rock and roll. And back in <laughs> 2011 when you guys started as a band, social media was still like a very new thing and streaming was a very new thing of like what is the music what like what is even happening to the music industry? And so I'm curious like what is your Idea of success and like, how has this kind of changed from when you started out to now?
2: You know, we're kind of in that Z-list category, so I don't really know what <laughs> what, what what truth like fame is. But you know, I, I do think it is interesting how the, the phrase I've I've said is like, I, I wouldn't wish fame on my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I think it's such a it's such a weird weight. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we see it on the celebrities that we have now right. that um, obviously deal with this. And I mean Taylor Swift can't go to her, <laughs> you know, football game without like, five articles, ten and... articles about her, <laughs> and all of
0: TikTok. Yeah, now being yeah, and going on yeah. SNL. Yeah,
2: but I, I think for us, like this is gonna. I'm not trying to uh, point back to a song, but we we have a song called "Take It All Back" that literally was about our first experience on David Letterman. We were like a nobody band, had like 10 Facebook followers at a time. <laughs> Gosh. Instagram wasn't even around. Right. You know, and we were kind of at that spot where we you know we dropped out of college. Our parents are a little concerned for us, you know. Yeah. And we get randomly called to be on the David Letterman show right before you retired and so um, cool. It was it was one of those moments we were like, "We're going to be famous." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and honestly, the show was so fun. It was like such an honor, blah blah blah. We film it, it aired the next day, we watched it and then it was done. Yeah. And we kind of had this moment as a band where we were like, oh, my God. If we make this about, like, moments, then we're going to get to the end of our career and hate ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you make it about, you know, we got to headline Red Rocks. If you, like, if you make it about headlining Red Rocks, that moment is awesome for an hour and a half. Right. <laughs> but it's, right. So. Yeah. So I, I think... And to go back take it all back it's like that song in general is about this like the core of like the why why we do it right. and yep. the reason why we make music is to make connections of hope and hopefully love in the midst of a goofy six goofy white dudes playing music <laughs> you know and if we can make somebody's day better if it's one person like it's always so funny because we we start our tours notoriously off like in the biggest markets, like 10,000 people, 8,000, mm. but we'll finish like in like Montreal where we're we'll, like 200 people. Yeah. Show up. yeah. And we, we really, and it's easier said than done. I'm not the best at this to be honest with, me, with you as a competitor, but I, I think going back to the question of fame is like if the hope and love is real, then it means just as much in front of five people in Montreal as yes. in front of 10,000 people and yeah, wherever that. Yeah. So I I think we've kind of held each other accountable in that regard. Again, we're not perfect at it. We're human beings. But I think that's what what we've tried uh, to kind of stick with, with our band at least.
1: I think that's a really beautiful sentiment. And I think if people go into these situations of with... The hope of fame as the goal i feel like it's very easy to tell and right now just like with how social media is right now like people have gotten so much better at being able to suss out who's doing it for the love of music and who's doing it for the love of the idea of like what music can bring them mm-hmm. so i think it's just really incredible like what you're saying of being like yeah we all kind of are there to bring each other back to earth and like just the sharing of music and emotion with everybody is really all that matters. Yeah, and I just think that's incredible. And I feel like right now also we're in this weird space where like I feel like pre-pandemic there was a lot of like oh, there's already a band that's doing this. There's only room for them. Therefore, my band's not going to have the success. But I think that like mm. we all thought we lost music for like a year, and now yep. it feels like there is so much more room for lots of bands doing the same things and like working together and like less competitiveness, which I think has also really changed the idea of like what fame and success can look like for musicians.
2: Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's like the, what's the quote? The spirit of comparison is a thief of joy. Yeah. And so I think like, and, and I don't know if y'all do it. I mean, I'm sure y'all deal, deal with this, like with podcasts. I mean, yeah. I, as competitive as, you know, having your own podcast is, you know, it's it's hard not to to wish that we were doing arenas, but that's like a never ending cycle. It's like right, you yeah. get to arenas and then you, you want you want more. more and more and more, yeah. and it's like you have to be. And again, not perfect at this, <laughs> but we talk a lot about there's a fine line between ambition and contentment, and how neither one of those are a bad thing. Like it's good to be yeah. content, and it's good to be ambitious. Yeah. It's good to be passionate, but there's a fine line there to where if ambition runs amok, then you're never you're never content. And then if yeah. you're too content, then you're not passionate enough. So it's like holding those at a kind of metaphorical ba- balance, where it's like okay. I think I'm holding these. I can be content with where I'm at, but I'm also pushing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think also, I mean, having a 10 plus year career is a huge accomplishment in itself, especially for for many musicians.
2: That was a fun 10 year. We got to celebrate in Cancun. We had this like random like private gig offer. We're like, we're going to Cancun. Nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's perfect.
2: But it, it's, it is like, to, to piggyback off that, it's like one of my favorite like teachers says the American way is already should be already debunked because the pursuit of happiness is indicative of that you actually don't have happiness because you're in the pursuit of it If you have happiness then you shouldn't be in the pursuit of it Mm -hmm. and so it's just this like notion of like okay how do we be with happiness rather than right. pursue it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we could different also, for everybody. <laughs> we
0: could also talk about how capitalism and forever growth is not sustainable. But I think that's a whole other episode.
2: <laughs> so All right, I'm available tomorrow. Let's go.
0: <laughs> but to wrap things up with a little bow, very nicely, the ethos of Name Three Songs is to empower fangirls, and we think it's important to be critical consumers, but also celebrate the things that we love unapologetically. So, Judah. What are you a fangirl
2: of? Tell you what I'm a big fangirl of is these dogs right here. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, so cute. Hi. Oh, my God. So precious. I'm a fangirl of I think you should leave. Okay. Tim Robinson. Yes. We did Jimmy Kimmel or one of the late nights with him. And he was just so funny on Jimmy Kimmel. He's hilarious. And we religiously watched that show. I'm a fangirl of Frightened Rabbit* favorite band of all time talk about mental health yeah mm. uh, that is a gold mine of feeling less alone in the world is it three
1: no Just as whatever. many as you, as many as you want oh.
2: <laughs> anything that makes you feel good <laughs> and i uh, last i guess last but not least fangirl of tennessee football nice i am a southern boy true and true so go vols we sucked yesterday but
0: i guess we could also talk about travis and taylor for another whole <laughs> episode
1: <too. laughs>
2: i'm available wednesday too okay <laughs> it would be fun to come back on and have y'all like listen to the record and we could talk about like uh the grieving process or whatever y'all are like so y'all are so great at this so (laughs) i'm not just blowing smoke thank
0: you no (laughs) that means a lot truly this has been such a lovely conversation and we always appreciate people who are willing to be so open and share these stories with us so it's really fantastic to have these conversations so thank
1: you thank you judah for joining us today
2: thank you y'all are the best
1: I could listen to this man talk for truly hours. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we could talk with him for truly hours. Let too. I just feel like it was such a give and take conversation, which is always so nice. And it's just so cool to talk to somebody who's been doing this for so long and is so comfortable in where they're at in their career and where they're at in their music journey that setbacks... Don't feel like setbacks in the same way as I feel like they have when you hear other artists talk about it.
0: I Yeah, it's truly really amazing to talk to someone who's been doing this for going on 12 years yeah. at this point. Because there's so many artists who just, you know, can't make this work like long term. Yeah, So it's like number one rare to find artists who have been able to, to stay the course, but also just the experience that judah has been through both personally and just with the band and everything is very unique and for him to be so kind as to share that with us is like so special yeah
1: definitely there were so many points in the conversation where i feel like you and i related very deeply to like things that he was talking about especially in regards to like life changes and fears during the pandemic and it was just really interesting to get to hear his viewpoint on that and I mean personally also like getting to discuss with him like their upcoming album and the thoughts of grief and how that reflects on like personal relationships rather than just death I thought was like just very eye-opening for me personally and I was like this is just so cool getting to hear him talk about yeah like a, a, a song that I personally like resonated deeply with
0: I mean also especially people who musicians who's like their job is to convey emotion like yeah. their job is to sit with emotion and put it into art like I think that is kind of sometimes taken for granted of the emotional labor they have to go through to create this is wild. So all around, just very, very cool conversation. And thank all of you guys who are listening. Thank you for getting candid with us and Judah and the Lion. This has been Sarah and Jenna from Name Three Songs.
1: To get your pop culture fix, you can listen to new episodes of Name Three Song Podcast every Wednesday. That's name the number three songs on all podcast platforms. Hey, podcast listener.